Now, uh, as some of you may know, I lived a good part of my life in Germany. Now, I know this is kind of a weird segue into this. Uh, it wasn't meant to be. But uh, now, before I left Germany, uh, after almost 13 years to move back to the States, um, I was leaving a lot of, uh, I had witnessed a lot of protesting and uh, tensions growing between the Muslim immigrants in Germany and you know the, the, the citizens, the government, business owners uh, there. Now, most of the Muslims you see lived very differently from uh, most Germans. They both spoke, spoke differently, they dressed differently, and they even ate differently than, than uh, many others. Many of them would celebrate different kinds of holidays than everyone else, and um, they tended to live close to each other in tight-knit communities. Now, in holding on to their religion and identity, they stuck out like a sore thumb, and they actually tended to be against assimilation as a group. Now, uh, some of the Germans and other groups of immigrants that lived there, including even the, the military that was there, found this to be unsettling because their way of life was very different from theirs or ours, and it seemed perhaps troublesome that they, they didn't want to be like you know, the nation that they had lived in and live the way, the way that they do. But given that they stuck to themselves and they didn't disturb the peace, there was tolerance and, uh, uh, I guess you could say, uh, what's the word? I guess just tolerance for their beliefs and lifestyles. Now, uh, this was except when something disturbing happened that you know involved them, and this is something that would uh, lower the tolerance that we just mentioned and increases suspicion of that particular group. Now, this isn't far to say, this is probably how the Jews were viewed uh, by everyone else during um, the, the Roman uh, times, I guess you could say, because they were surrounded by paganism. So when the Jews were doing things differently than everyone else, there was a little suspicion going on. But just, just kind of keep that in the back of your head, and we'll actually return to this concept later. But with those things in mind, I think we're ready to continue our very exciting chapter for today in Acts uh, 18. So if you'll grab your Bibles if you have them, we'll go ahead and do a little reading. All right, chapter 18, it reads, After this, Shaul left Athens and went to Corinth, where he met a Jewish man named Aquila, originally from Pontus, but having recently come with his wife Priscilla from Italy, because Claudius had issued a decree expelling all Jews from Rome. Shaul went to see them, and because he had the same trade as they, making tents, he stayed on with them, and they worked together. Now, we'll take a pause real quick. I'm, I'm reading from this uh Complete Jewish Study Bible, um, and it has some, an interesting uh, note at the bo bottom about uh, this verse here. It says, he had the same trade as they, making tents, and they worked together. It goes on, Shaul earned his, uh, Paul earned his living, even though he taught that those who proclaim the good news are entitled to be supported by their fellow believers. This is outlined in 1 Corinthians 9, uh, verses 1 through 9. Now, the, the Mishnah admonishes do not make of the Torah a spade of which to dig. By this, the, the sages exhort that the use of knowledge of the Torah or spiritual matters should not be means by which one seeks to get rich. Yet, in his calling to be bivocational, Shaul, Paul, demonstrates a level of integrity in going above and beyond for the sake of serving God. Just an interesting note I thought I'd share with you guys. 
Now we'll continue in verse 4. It reads, Shaul also began carrying on discussions every Shabbat in the synagogue, where he tried to convince both Jews and Greeks. But after Sila and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Shaul felt pressed by the urgency of the message and testified in depth to the Jews that Yeshua is the Messiah. However, when they set themselves against him and began hurling insults, he shook out his clothes and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. For my part, I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Goim, that I will go to the Gentiles. So he left them there and went into the home of a God-fear named Titus Justus, whose house was right next door to the synagogue. How convenient. Now, Crispus, the president of the synagogue, came to trust in the Lord along with his whole household. Also, many of the Corinthians who tr heard, trusted, and were immersed. One night in a vision, the Lord said to Shaul, Don't be afraid, but speak right up and don't stop, because I am with you. No one will succeed in harming you, for I have many people in this city. So Shaul stayed there for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. But when Galio became the governor, uh, governor of Achaia, the unbelieving Jews made a concerted attack on Shaul and took him to court, saying, This man is trying to persuade people to uh, worship God in ways that violate the Torah. Shaul was just about to open his mouth when Galio said to the Jews, Listen, you Jews, if this were a case of inflicted injury or a serious crime, I could reasonably be expected to hear you out patiently. But since it involves questions and words and names about your own law, then you must deal with it yourselves. I flatly refuse to judge such matters. And he had them ejected from the court. They all grabbed Sosthenes, the president of the synagogue, and gave him a beating in full view of the bench. But Galileo showed no concern, whatever. So he, 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 that really shows that they didn't care. Now, just a little side note here. This Sosthenes, I can't say this with 100% certainty, but there is a brother Sosthenes that's mentioned in uh, the first Corinthians, in the very first uh, part of the letter. Um, it goes something along, you know, Shaul, Shaul um, Paul introducing himself, you know, a brother, uh, uh, emissary of Christ, uh, uh, Messiah Yeshua, and Brother Sosthenes. I believe that this was probably the same Sosthenes, because why would he want to get beat by the brothers in the synagogue and then go back, you know? I don't know. That, that's just something to, to think about. Now, continuing, it says, Shaul remained for some time and said goodbye to the brothers and sailed off to Syria after having his hair cut, sort, uh, cut short in Centrion, because he had taken a vow with him were Priscilla and Aquila. They came to Ephesus, and he left them there. But he went into the synagogue and held dialogue with the Jews. When they asked him to stay with him longer, he declined. However, in his farewell, he said, God willing, I will come back to you. Then he set sail from Ephesus. After landing at Caesarea, he went up to Jerusalem to Jerusalem and greeted the Messianic community. Then he came down to Antioch, spent some time there, and afterwards set out, uh, yes, set out and passed systematically through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the Talmudim. Meanwhile, a Jewish man named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent speaker with a thorough knowledge of the Tanakh, the, the Hebrew scriptures. This man had taught accurately 
Oh, this man had been informed about the way of the Lord, and with great spiritual fervor he spoke and taught accurately the facts about Yeshua. But he only knew of the immersion of Yochanan, of, of John. He began to speak out boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God in fuller detail. Then he made, plan, then he made plans to cross over into Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote the Talmudim, the, the disciples there, to welcome him. On arrival, he greatly helped those who through grace had come to trust, for he powerfully and conclusively refuted the unbelieving Jews in public, demonstrating from the Tanakh that Yeshua is the Messiah. Wow, so that's a very exciting and, and jam-packed um, account there we have. Now, I have a question for you all. Who is going around at this very time in history, conquering and taking over and occupying different places all around different countries and, and states? Absolutely, Rome, Rome. Now, when they came marching in and taking over everything, do you, do you think they were welcomed, like with open arms? Probably not by most. Now, this, this brings us to our first topic of today. Can I get a dun, dun, dun? Thank you so much. There we, there we go. So our first th uh, topic of the day, uh, it is the expulsion of the Jews from Rome under Emperor Claudius. Now, after reading verse 2, we really don't get any other information on the subject of you know, the Jews getting kicked out of Rome. But there are, however, a few other resources that may give us a better understanding of what was happening during this time. Two of these resources uh, that I will share with you today are from Roman historians of antiquity that lived within approximately 20 to 100 years of this specific event. These men were not only historians, but both held very high positions in government, ranging from uh, governor to um, uh, proconsul to even private secretary under Emperor Hadrian. Now, uh, many of their works were published around 121 to 233 AD or so. Now, their names are Lucius Cassius Dio and Gaius Suetonius Tranquillus, uh, commonly known as Suetonius. Now, within their most famous works, De Vita Caesarum, or also known as like the 12, tri uh, the 12 uh, Caesars or um, Life of the Caesars, you know, you have the Vita in their life. Um, so we, we can find some nuggets in there. And then there's also uh, volumes of Roman history. Now, within these, both of these, we can find information regarding the Jews in Rome during Emperor Claudius's rule. These accounts may give us a better understanding of what, kind of what was going on, what kind of tensions were bubbling up within the Jewish community at the time. Now, uh, Dio's work, Roman history, spans about 80 volumes, which is said to cover about 1,400 years of history. Now, we don't have all the accounts, some have been lost through, through time, but we have, uh, we have a good amount of them, including uh, volume 60, which we'll read from today. Now within this uh, volume 60, chapter six, Dio makes a comment regarding the Jews in Rome. And uh, this is said to be at, towards the beginning of Claudius's rule. It reads, as for the Jews who had again increased so greatly that by reason of their multitude, it would have been hard without raising a tumult, uh, an uproar, to bar them from the city. He did not drive them out, but he ordered them while continuing their traditional mode of life not to hold meetings. 
Now, on the other hand, we have Suetonius's most famous work, De Vita Caesarum, or the 12 Caesars over here. Now, the, uh, this, this 12 Caesars is really a set of 12 biographies about Julius Caesar and the 11 emperors, uh, first 11 emperors of Rome. Now, did you guys know that Julius Caesar was not officially Roman emperor? He never held the title of emperor. I didn't know this until I was studying for this, but rather he held uh, the title of general, statesman, and I like this last one, dictator for life. <laughs> now the 12 Caesars, uh, Davida uh, Caesarum, uh, covers like the emperor's family backgrounds, private lives, even gossip from that time, uh, their personalities, their public actions, and even their deaths. Now contained in this book, there's some information uh, within a list of Emperor Claudius's actions during his rule that may give us further insight on you know, why he expelled them, uh, the Jews from Rome. It's very short, but we have, since the Jews constantly made disturbances at the instigation of Crestus, he expelled them from Rome. Now, these uh, two accounts here almost kind of conflict because we have uh, you know, at first we have Dio saying that he did not kick them out, but then we have the author of Acts and Suetonius saying that he did. I believe this discrepancy can easily be cleared up in regards to when these accounts were recorded. Now, it's it's kind of hard to actually pinpoint where exactly where they were uh, recorded because they're very difficult to properly date. But it really seems highly likely that towards the beginning of Emperor Claudius's rule. There were tensions flaring up uh, you know, within the Jewish community in Rome, as Dio stated. But as time went on and on, things got more and more heated until Emperor Claudius uh, had finally decreed that they leave Rome, you know, leave the city, as we read in verse 2 of our uh, chapter today, and as mentioned by Suetonius. Go ahead here. Now, that's about probably when uh, Emperor Claudius gave him that famous line in, in Latin. Let's see if I can read it. You ain't got to go home, but can't stay here, boys. Uh, <laughs> that was really bad. Anyways, now the reason that we're, the whole reason we're looking at these two references is to sharpen two points. One, there were a bunch of Jews in Rome. There was, there was a multitude of Jews in Rome. It wasn't just five, it was a lot, a multitude. So much that it said that Emperor Claudius didn't want to, at first didn't want to kick them out because it would have caused such an uproar. Now secondly, it said that there were constant disturbances at the instigation of Crestus. Well, let's, let's focus on the one Suetonius calls Crestus for a moment. Who was Crestus? Well, not to be confused with Crispus, you know, the, the uh, president of the synagogue in Corinth, but Crestus. Well, I can't say with 100% certainty because scholars are divided on this topic, uh, whether it, you know, it be on the origin of the name or the person or perhaps the movement. Now, some say this is absolutely a reference to Christ, uh, Yeshua, and then others say it was a reference to just some other person uh, causing problems among the Jews. I would like to submit to you today that this instigation of Crestus among the Jews was likely teachings about someone rather than just one single agitator uh, named Crestus who's going around you know, inciting uh, riots and disorder in the city. 
It is so very likely that the Jews visiting around uh, and traveling through Jerusalem and surrounding areas heard the gospel and brought it back to Rome where they started evangelizing and sharing it with their fellow Jews and God-fearers. It would only be fitting that much like when you know, Yeshua or his disciples or Peter, Paul, or many others uh, shared the gospel, outrage, hostility, and persecution followed from those that did not believe. Now, before we move on, I want to mention and, and have you keep in your minds that the term Christians was not coined until about 100 years later. Believers in Yeshua were likely seen as just another sect of Judaism to the Roman government. The Roman government was not they were probably not interested in splitting hairs to find out who done what. All they wanted to do was maintain order and control. And contrary to popular, uh, popular belief, Yeshua's teachings in the gospel were not the beginning of a new religion uh, called Christianity, nor was Yeshua calling his fellow Jews away from biblical Judaism as to leave their Jewishness at the door. The teaching that Jews have to ditch being Jewish and throw away that legalistic thing called the Torah to accept Yeshua as the Messiah is absolutely unbiblical and one of the bi biggest reasons why many of them have not uh, held on to Yeshua and accepted him. Now, this is, all, this is besides the partial hardening of Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, as mentioned in Romans, I believe it's um, 11.25. But anyways, let's jump back into Acts 18. Now, I want us to go ahead and pick up our Bibles one more time and look at verses 4 through 6. It reads, Shaul also began carrying on discussions every Shabbat in the synagogue, where he tried to convince both Jews and Greeks. But after Sila and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Shaul felt pressed by the urgency of the message and testified in depth to the Jews that Yeshua is the Messiah. However, when they set themselves against him and began hurling insults, he shook out his clothes and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. For my part, I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles, to the Goyim. Okay, let's hit the brakes here. Because we are right at this very moment, we're seeing a major pivot in the focus of Paul's ministry. Let's look at a couple things that just happened here. Let's look at what Paul did and what Paul said uh, to these you know, hostile, unbelieving Jews in the synagogue. Now, first off, first off, we read that Paul shakes out his garment, right? What does that remind you guys of? The shaking out of a garment. I hear murmuring. I don't. Well, any time the disciples went somewhere and preached, and they weren't well received by the locals, they would do that. And Yeshua even told them, "Shake out your garment and go on. Shake the dust off your feet and go on." Exactly. You know, don't want, in other words, don't waste your time with people that aren't going to receive. That's right. Yeah, shake the dust off your off your feet as a testimony against them. Um, yeah, Mark six eleven. Um, so let me ask you this specifically: Is there anywhere in Scripture where the shaking out of a garment is is done? They can think of. 
Well, I found one. It's in Nehemiah 5.13. Uh, I actually have it right here. I can read. If you'd like to turn there, maybe there. Mm -hmm. What was that reference again? Nehemiah? Oh, uh, Nehemiah 5.13. Okay. So it says, shaking out the fold in my garment, I said, may God thus shake every man from his house and, sh and from his work who fails to live up to this promise. May he be shaken out like this and made empty. And the whole assembly said, amen and praise Adonai. And the people did as they had promised. So, uh, what Nehemiah, uh, Nehemiah did and what Miss uh, Suzanne had just mentioned with, with uh, Yeshua you know, meant telling his disciples that if a town refused to believe his, the message, they should shake their dust, they shake the dust off their feet and leave as a testimony against them. Uh, again, this is found in, uh, when he had commanded that, it was found in Mark 6, uh, 6 11. Now this is as even if the dust on their feet was not worthy of Yeshua's offer of salvation. Then moving on, it says that after Paul shook out his garments, he made a comment to these hostile unbelievers. Now, this comment uh, here contains an idiom that can easily be lost on any of us in our modern Western 2022 Dothan, Alabama mindsets, if we don't understand the context. But the Jews of this time would have had no doubt about what Paul was saying here. Now, this idiom was recorded in verse 6. It reads, However, when they set themselves against him and began hurling insults, he shook out his clothes to them and said, Your blood be on your own heads. For my part, I am clean. From now on, I will go to the goyim, to the Gentiles. Now, this uh, idiom that's used, your blood be on your own heads, can easily be just read over and mistakenly understood as like, oh, the blood's on your hands. But that doesn't make sense because the blood would have been on Paul's hands if he didn't do his part in testifying to his, his brothers and sisters, um, his Jewish brothers and sisters. This is why it's important to, to read, you know, from Genesis to maps and seek to understand. This is so important. What is actually being said here is a major, the major, uh, or a major reference to the major concept in the Torah, the heart of God's justice system, in fact, the whole reason that Yeshua had to die for us. This is the concept of substitutionary atonement. Now raise your hand if you're, you're excited, just as excited as I am to uh, celebrate Pesach, Passover next week, right? I, mm, I cannot wait. Now, obviously we're not just commemorating the uh, you know, exodus from Egypt, but also what and who it foreshadowed. Our beloved Yeshua, the, you know, the, the Passover lambs, lamb slain for both you and I so that we may enter his kingdom and not be cast into darkness, right? Now, it's said that when an animal was sacrificed, the guilt of the worshiper was symbolically transferred to the head of the animal by the laying of uh, Sorry, rather, the, it was transferred to the animal by the worshiper laying hands on the head of the animal. Now, uh, the uh, idea of substitution lays in, in, our, in our God's heart 
and uh, in his justice system. This is the entire basis of God's justice system and the entire basis of Yeshua's, or Messiah's death on the cross. Now, so what, what Paul is saying here is that because they are refusing the offer of salvation in Yeshua, the ultimate atonement and substitution for us, and because there are no other means for atonement for them, like the, the offering of blood from you know, an innocent animal to, to bear the brunt of their offense, they become subject to what the law prescribes, and therefore rejecting the Lamb, Yeshua, is blasphemy, and the end result is permanent separation from God. That's what Paul is saying here. You know, I wonder why they were, why they were wanting him dead and gone. I mean, he was dropping bombs on him, you know. <laughs> now, are are we seeing like a common theme here as we're reading through the through the book? And it, that, that common theme is when truth is shared, there will be those who humbly accept the free gift that has been offered to all. But there have and always will be those that not only don't accept, but they even try to silence those who do and who speak the truth. And this will end when you know Yeshua returns, obviously. Now, the doors of repentance are wide open right now, but many, the majority, will not pass through them. And this is not because they didn't see the doors wide open. It's because they want nothing to do with the one that created them and for their sin to be exposed. I believe our, our Savior simplified this truth when he was talking to uh, Pharisee Nicodemus one night long ago. It might sound very familiar. It reads, For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but so that the world might be saved through him. The one who believes in him is not judged, but the one who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world and that the people love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light. It does not come to light so that his deeds will not be exposed. But the one who practices truth comes to the light so that his deeds will be revealed as being performed in God. Now, if you guys take anything away from this lesson today, I pray that it's an um, inspiration to embrace and practice and, and share the truth with others. Because when we do, we're much like the shamash candle, you know, the servant candle that's used during Hanukkah, uh, Hanukkah, good old Hanukkah, uh, Hanukkah, to like the other candles, right? The servant candle. That's what we become when we, when we let his shine, uh, his light shine through us. And, you know, we're like little Yeshua's. Now, again, we, we can't force anyone to come to him, but we can, however, reflect his life to help his light, to help them see the truth and hopefully come to him. Now, there are so many different ways to shine and, and share the truth with others. And perhaps one of the simplest and most unique ways is, to, is through testimony, right? There's such power in personal testimony because, well, no one can take it away from you. You're the one that went through it. Who here remembers the, the story about the, the woman at the well, right? Who was talking to Yeshua? And, uh, well, it said after that had happened, it said that many, not a few, many came to believe because of her testimony about Yeshua. That is, that is so, absolutely so powerful. Now, 
you know, it's just, it's truly amazing how uh, testimony can help inspire someone. But not only that, uh, it can help inspire someone that's just listening in on your conversation who you're not even talking to directly. I mean, remember last week that, that what I mentioned, you'd never know who's listening. You know, the reason why Jim Langley speaks, talks like this when usually most people, you know. So anyways, I believe in, in, in times ahead, it's safe to say that we, the, the body, are going to face more hostility, outrage, and persecution because of our allegiance to, to King Yeshua. Now, with that, I want to challenge you guys to share your testimony with at least someone, just one person this next week. Now, it doesn't have to be super in-depth or super complicated, but just tell them about that blessed assurance that you have and that, that amazing grace that's been given to you. And you, you never know what could happen there. Now, this brings me to, to ask you guys a, a question. Now, did we just read about Aquila, Priscilla, or Paul backing down from sharing the truth? No, not one bit. You know, with the way the world that has been going for a long time, I think we're going to have a chance to really prove what we're made of uh, pretty soon here in, in coming years. But with that, I want to encourage you all with what God said to Paul one night long ago where Paul was probably feeling very uneasy and undergoing, undergoing great stress during his calling. That is, don't be afraid, but speak right up. Be and don't stop because I am with you. And if he's with us, who can be against us? Right? Well, let's go ahead and, uh, let's go ahead and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, dear, dear Abba, we, we, we love you, Lord. We thank you for this day. Lord, uh, please strengthen us and please guide us with your Holy Spirit to do your will and uh, give us courage to um, reach out to those around us and be a light to them so that they might find their way uh, straight to you, Lord, um, who is the to, to you, Lord, who is the source of all light and truth. Um, Father, we thank you for the, this day again. We, we pray that um, our words, thoughts, and actions all glorify uh, and, and um, praise you, Lord. We, we thank you so much. In Yeshua's holy and blessed name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, well, so we'll go ahead and break for, uh, for Oneg here in a little bit. Um, does anyone have any comments, questions, emotional outbursts? Uh, yes, Savior. That's a good question. So, are we talking about like the the, the first one or the commandment to? Just so I understand. Either one. Hmm. That's that's interesting. I know the first one. It was obviously for protection from from the the destroyer. I would have to I would have to in order to articulate that a little better. I, I would like to. Do maybe look it up and, and get with you a little bit later if that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. But good question. I like that. All right. Any other questions? Yes. Gabe. I made an observation while you were reading Acts 18 that we see this is the very first time, and we're probably pushing 20 years into the history of our movement. This is the first time that we see 
a concerted effort to leave the synagogue and start something with the primary intention of it being for followers of Yeshua. Mm -hmm. But up until this point, they saw themselves as part of a larger Jewish movement and identity. But here they see the very beginning and the inception of something beginning and starting in someone's home mm -hmm. of it being disciples of Yeshua only. Absolutely. And that's interesting that we kind of went like we we, we kind of went like like that, and then now we're back to organized. You know, uh, I guess at least in the states and in many other countries, where we go back to kind of synagogue, kind of style uh, worship. Because it was said it was right across the street or next door to the synagogue. Thank you so much. That's really awkward. They started a messianic assembly, so to speak, or like an assembly of followers of Yeshua out of the home of someone who is the president of the synagogue, which is next door. That is so interesting. So every Sabbath as they're coming to meet and study and pray, they're looking at each other and they're like, like hey, their cars are parked outside. No, I'm yeah. just kidding. But yeah, yeah, they're noticing and they're like, maybe they hear them or maybe they see them through the window. Or, so it's like, not know. only is it uh, theologically and doctrinally, are they really close and they were overlapped, but now yeah. there's a tiny bit of separation in the theology and doctrine. But there's also a very small geographical and physical distance between the two groups. Mm -hmm. But we'll see that continue to grow as history goes on with our movement. Absolutely. And it's kind of, it's interesting because the tensions kind of start going like that because they're so close. I mean, it wouldn't have been a big deal if they were out far. I mean, maybe the Pharisees would go and visit and say, hey, you know. And I guess the non-believing Pharisees, they might kind of, you know, mess with them a little bit. But with that, it's like you said, they're like, Right next to door to each other at you know the president of the synagogue's house. Didn't meet here, but we met next door to Temple Emmanuel here in Dothan, the former synagogue. Yeah. We met there every Sabbath, next right next door to their synagogue. It just was awkward. Oh, absolutely. They're like, wait, wait a second. I see they they look like they're kind of Jewish a little bit, but what's going on here? <laughs> oh, yes, ma'am. Uh, I just had a question about when uh, Claudius was selling Yeah, I I looked at it. Um, it's around 50 AD is when when it happened. Around anywhere from 50 to 55. Um, some say 54. When they, they were expelled, yeah, it was it was shortly before. Uh, either Paul got to Athens or why he was in Athens. I forget which one it was. I, I can let you know a little bit later when I look through my resources. When Romans was, was written, I don't know off the top of my head. Yeah, yeah it had to be definitely before 70 AD. Uh, we know that. So I'm not quite sure. Is it, yeah, probably anywhere from anywhere from I think it was 50 to 70. I know that's kind of a, a large range. I think we can kind of narrow that down a little bit, some resources. Answer a question. Paul is going to write Romans at the beginning of Acts 19. Acts 19, okay. So this is just before he writes Romans, probably a year or less before he writes the, the letters to the Romans. But in between the events of Acts 18 and Acts 19 is when he writes the letters to the Romans. I'm 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I, I was looking into it, and it doesn't seem, I think, with the language of how Luke was, was writing, like the word all, that can, I don't think it's this, it's the understanding there. I, don't, I, I truly don't believe it was all, because obviously there were still Jews in, in Rome. Um, so I, I don't know if he meant just many or something like that, because we see that throughout Scripture. It'll say all, but it's like, okay, it's not, it's not all. So, Absolutely. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, do we have any other questions? Yes, Jason. A couple of observations. I think it would be really interesting to be a fly on the wall in the synagogue in this location. I can tell you've already got Assumedly, they have been in pieces for their entire life. Mm -hmm. But then they're in this somewhat pagan environment. You know, and then there's philosophical concepts that are occurring in the region. And then it also kind of speaks to that. You know, I would want I would want to know what their objections were. Like they they must have been voicing their objections to Paul and to his message and mm -hmm. why they, they took this mission that they did. That would be a super interesting conversation. And then it also kind of speaks to like the transcendence of the message of Yeshua that Paul would say, Well, I'm going to the Bohemian because you guys aren't listening to me. To Judaism or to Judaism, probably you know, probably the majority of didn't know a lot about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's. It, I, I mean, there's so many different um, understandings of of why uh, why Gentile why it seems for it's easier to convert Gentiles than those that already have all this baggage and not to say that they shouldn't be ministered or. Um, talk to or anything like that obviously not but like there are so, sometimes there are these, these barriers and I was talking to someone last night about this and it's sometimes we want to get choosy with who we want to um, you know uh, evangelize or you know talk to about the God share the gospel but we really shouldn't we should be able to share it with whoever it is you know uh, no matter what they look like what what they believe uh, anything like that but sometimes I think it's like a self-preservation or some type of thing inside of us where we're like, oh, well, they're already so over here, they're probably not going to even hear me out or anything like that. But really, we're, we're called to be selfless, and who cares if they don't agree with us? That's the, that's the easiest thing they can do. I mean, there are people who get stoned, killed, and all kinds of other things, you know, for sharing the gospel. Like, what is it? You know, if someone dis disagrees with you, that is not persecution. <laughs> that's a very... American kind of thing. Oh, you disagree with me? I'm being persecuted. It's not. That's not how it is. So, anyways, <laughs> but yeah, I totally get where you're. That would be very interesting to be a fly on the wall, listening to Shaul talk to um, his, his brothers and sisters, and even some God fears. You know, just to see kind of how where his you know apologetics and all that all that was. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Any other questions or comments? Yeah, if you go out witnessing the people and talk to the people about Yeshua uh, and Jesus, mm -hmm. uh, the main thing, a lot of people are scared to talk to others about them. But if you come upon a person just from my experience, 
if you come upon a person. The one that we even hear a voice that says, Fear has come upon you if you talk to this one. That's the one you want to talk to. Yes. So that's who the spirit is saying those who are open and God wants to reach. And when you get that spirit of fear, that's the one to go to. I mean, you'd be surprised. Yeah. They're more, they're more inclined to listen to you. Yeah, you really, you never know. You know, can't. I guess judge, I mean, I judge books by the cover, like literal books all the time. But, uh, but like, you really, when it comes to people, you really can't judge a book by, the, you know, its cover. And uh, you just, you never know. And sometimes it's not even, um, sometimes you don't have a lot of time with someone and to, you know, share the gospel with. And, uh, and then sometimes you do. And how we approach that is a very interesting thing to think about, but at least go for it. At least try, you know, we, we must do that. So we're, I mean, we're called to, you know, so. All right. Well, we'll go ahead and, oh, do you have something? More thing? Absolutely. Uh, I go to a church, it's called Mount Carmel in uh, Bonifay. Mm -hmm. And the uh, number one message for the last three or four weeks has been about going out and witnessing the people about Jesus mm -hmm. and that the Lord is coming soon. And that's been the main uh, message. And, they have missionaries for all around. They support so many different missionaries. And they come in there and they give the wow. They have the stories that you wouldn't believe. You had to hear them to believe them. Mm -hmm. And it's just amazing what these missionaries go through in these hostile lands, especially in the Muslim lands. And uh, the stories that I've heard how God works miracles. It's just it just amazes me. The fields are ready for harvest. Yeah, they really are. Yeah, that's the message. Amen. I believe God trying to tell people. Amen. The harvest. That's right. Go, go, go for there. Go therefore and make disciples. Absolutely. All right. Oh yes, ma'am. Take one more. Amen. You can speak to most missionaries that have been abroad and then they come back to the States and try to evangelize here. And I've mentioned this before, Americans are hard nuts to crack. We are so comfortable. Our, 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 I guess our God tends to be comfort and things like that. And really, it's in, we read it all throughout the scriptures in times of, of tragedy, in times of shaking, in times of being uh, humbled. That's and broken. That is that is when those seeds really start to grow, and we really start to um, you see a lot of reliance on God in those those times. And in other countries, I mean, they they're not so they don't tend to be as inundated with all this information and all these you know all this these different things. And also when it comes to uh, authority, 
um, they like say like in China and some other places, they tend to view authority very differently than the average American who is uh, pretty rebellious, you know. And um, with that, they tend to um, accept the message a little easier, and they don't have so much trouble with, I guess, the pride or being um, being in a state of being humble, if that makes sense. Um, absolutely, great comment. All right, guys. Well, I see some hungry, hungry people, so we'll go ahead and, and break for, uh, break bread. <laughs>